One man, one mission, to equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit. David Cuppet brings to you the School of the Holy Spirit from one of his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. So, who here would say that they know exactly who they are and what they're called to do in Christ? Well, that's not a good, that's not a good show of hands. I guess, say, that's why I'm here. Amen? That's why I'm here. <laughs> Somewhat. Amen. Okay, well... The Lord always has more. Amen. And just a little bit about my background. Um, I know. That's, that's cool. But, you know, I never knew that the Lord was going to call me to go to India until I had a dream. The Lord came to me in a dream. And this is crazy, but he said, a man from India is going to call you. Go. Seven days later, I get a call from a guy in India. Knew nobody in India. And by faith... I, I bought my plane ticket, and as soon as I bought, bought my plane ticket, I had people in my workplace, people in other churches walking up to me and say, this is, this is weird, but the Lord told me to write you a check. <laughs> the Lord told me to write you a check. And so that's how my India thing got launched, and uh, up until this point, over the last five years, we've ministered to over 5,000 pastors in India, um, taking pastors from simple knowledge of the Bible to encountering the fullness of the Spirit. Um, we've done uh, crusades. We've, we've worked with hundreds of thousands of people um, with crusades in India. And so um, why the Lord brought me here is because I believe there's an awakening going to happen in, in Toledo. Amen? Yeah. You guys ready for more? Yeah. Amen? And so uh, the way this works is the more you pull on me, the more you get. You know what that means? You have to want the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. So say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit whatever you have for me, have for me I, want I want it. Let it be known here tonight. Be known here tonight. Speak, Holy Speak, Holy Spirit. And I'll never be the same again. The same again. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we've been doing this for like six or seven weeks now on Saturday nights. And, uh, you know, I went to Barb and Bill originally. Um, they asked me why I came. The, you know, the Lord actually led us to this church. And, uh, you know, they, they opened the door to do this thing on Saturday nights. And so when we first got here, you know, we didn't have very many people that were activated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so over the last, especially week four, five, six people, all, everybody starts to have the vision that the Holy Spirit drops in your heart. Okay, and that's, that's the evidence of the equipping of the Holy Spirit and how the Lord speaks, and it's actually just how the, the Lord actually um, awakens people to be sensitive that He is speaking. Amen? Didn't, didn't the Lord say that? That He would pour out His Spirit, you would dream dreams, you would have visions, He will speak to you, right? And that's how He moves on the earth. And so that's been building here over, over the last six or seven weeks. And those of you who came in the first time, you know, we kind of had a couple people get some prophecies and a couple people get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we had the next week, the whole room gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. They start praying in tongues. And I don't know if that scares anybody in here, but it's okay. It's in the Bible. It's real. The person on the left or the right of you probably prays in the Holy Spirit, Okay. And so if you don't pray in the Holy Spirit here tonight, we'll work with you. Um, it's God's gift to every person to have a direct interaction uh, with the Holy Spirit, okay? And so that's been building. And so suddenly we get into week four or five and almost the whole room, people are still having visions. We're letting people prophesy. People are getting activated. But we kind of got to a different level last week, right? I mean, last week... The fire of the Holy Ghost came in the room, and I don't know if you've ever felt the fire of the Holy Ghost, but people were, un, let's call it undone. Is that, a, is that an okay way to describe it? People could not stand up. 
people laying on the, on the ground, shaking in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We had some pastors in here from other denominations who came in not praying in tongues, who left praying in the Holy Spirit, right? Been working with those guys here um, over the last few weeks, um, getting people through the revelation process of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so whatever you see in here tonight, don't be afraid. Look to the person beside you. Say, don't be afraid. It's in the Bible. Okay? Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the mess, right? Last week, anybody who came to the door would have said, is that really church? That looks like a mess, right? That looks like a mess. Well, anybody who knows me, especially over the last 15 years, you walk in any of my meetings and you're probably going to say, that's a mess. Okay? So I just want to spend some time talking about the Father's house, okay? Because Jesus came to actually, he said, I am about my Father's business. And so it's actually about establishing and building the Father's house. And if you don't have the right perspective, the right image of the, of the house, the Father's house and what it's supposed to look like, you'll look at what happened last week and I've seen people do this, legit encounters with the Holy Spirit. People undone, can't be explained, weeping, crying, shaking. They fall to the ground, not praying in tongues. They get off the ground, praying in the Holy Ghost, having visions, prophesying. Can't, can't, they're shaking for days, right? Do you ever, do you ever encounter somebody that shook for days? I sh- I, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I shook for days. Undone. Look at the neighbor, your person beside you and say, Undone. The goal of the Holy Spirit is undone. <laughs> oh, not so sure about that, huh? It's okay. It's in the Bible. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. But, you know, last week, people were weeping. People were laughing. People couldn't stop laughing, right? Sophie said, I, when, when, when your hand touched me, I started to shake and laugh. Other people, when I laid my hand on them, they, they just fell and started to cry, right? Those are all manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and it's okay. See, a lot of us think that being in control and being um, a Christian is the way it's supposed to be. Can I ask you a question? Who, who would not serve a God that couldn't overpower you if you give Him the ability, right? See, a lot of us keep God at a distance where we can explain Him, keep Him in a place where, you know, you got him in this box, and I believe in God as long as he's in that box. But when he comes out of the box, look out, right? When he comes out of the box, look out. And so we're going to talk a little bit tonight about when God comes out of the box, because last week he came out of the box. And if you can't process that, if you can't um, recognize why he comes out of the box, if you let him come out of the box, then you'll run from an encounter. Do you know that, do you know that the Pharisees... Jesus, it says Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they missed their time of visitation. You don't want to miss your time of visitation, man. Amen? And so it begs the question, what does the Father's house look like? Okay? You know, in the time of David, David's up on the hill. He's in Zion, right? He's got the ark up there. He's laying, it says he laid under the shadow of the wings. Can you picture David so in love with the presence of the Lord? He's literally laying got his hand on the ark. He's weeping. The psalms start flying, coming out of his mouth. The prophecy starts coming out of his mouth. He's undone in the Holy Ghost, right? It says he was so undone with the, in, in the presence of the Lord that he ran down the street in his loincloth. Now, if you want to go down to your loincloth, I won't tell anybody, but the person beside you, eh, I don't know, but if you go down to the loincloth tonight, I'm with you, Okay? <laughs> But the contrast is the synagogue. The contrast um, is the synagogue, right? Because did you ever ask the question, if you have the synagogue, the place where the Levite priests are down below in the city of Jerusalem, and they're going through the rituals, you know, stand up, sit down, go in, come out, go in, come out. You know, the blood, the, the goats, all that stuff. Why didn't God show up there? That was his law. They were following his law, but he didn't show up there. He showed up with a guy who had a heart for the presence of the Lord. Amen? 
David says, the one thing I desire above all things is the presence of my God. I need my God. I absolutely have to be in the presence of my Lord. And it ends up in 2 Samuel 7, it says that David wondered, because his mind wasn't shifted yet, it says that David wondered about the Lord not having a house. He goes, hey Nathan, I'm going to build God a house where he can dwell. And what happens next? The Holy Spirit wakes up, wakes up Nathan and says, you go tell David this, that you're not going to build a house. I'm making you a house. David is the house, right? David, the presence of God rested on the heart of David, right? And so that was so profound. I mean, think about this. The Lord had this, these guys following a ritual but he didn't see that as a place to rest. He looked for a man who chased him and he rested on that man. Isn't that crazy? See, if you chase him, that's where he'll rest. A lot of people still think in this church mindset that you have to come into the building where the church is. That's where God rests. No. God comes with the heart of men. He dwells in the heart, right? And so the context it's very important to understand because David laid in a pile of tears. He cried out for God. He needed God. He, when in his time of trouble, he thirsted for answers. And, and all the relational dynamics of the presence of God are demonstrated by David. But you have this synagogue that the Lord could have chosen to go there, but he didn't. Okay? And David had such an impact on the heart of God. The prophecy in, in Amos 9.11 says that I will rebuild the, the tent of David that has fallen down. I will rebuild David's tent out of Zion. And so Jesus didn't come as the God of, of the ritual, the God of the synagogue. He came for the people in the synagogue, but He came as the Son of David. Right? He came as the son, one who carried the heart of David. And so this contrast between the synagogue and Jesus was even more magnified than even with David in the synagogue. When Jesus came, he wasn't as nice as David. You know, David actually came and he just actually thirsted for the presence. And the people, all of the people that were made giant killers came into the presence because David was a giant killer and all those who, who thirsted after the presence of the Lord were made giant killers, right? But when David, but I'm sorry, but whenever Jesus came, whenever Jesus came onto the scene, he actually had a very confronting perspective of the synagogue, right? He actually went in to the synagogue and called the Pharisees, he called them a bunch of dead man's bones, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you are of your father, the devil, because they were in a ritual process, but they had no relationship. He basically said, you're fake. You think you're alive, but I think you're fake. You may think you're a, a son of Abraham, but no, you're not. You are dead man's bones. So they were following the ritual process of the synagogue, but they didn't know him. And Jesus came, he called them on it. They were furious with Jesus. Jesus, it says that he did nothing except by hearing and seeing what the Father was doing, right? John, John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, I only do what I see my Father doing. So he had this relationship that was built on being led by the Holy Spirit. And it infuriated the Pharisees. The Pharisees were shocked. They actually were so shocked that the dead religion in them actually was the force that put Jesus on the cross. It, there was a war. You see, Jesus doesn't tolerate dead religion. He actually calls it fake. So if you, if you, if you come and go through a ritual process, he actually, he'll tell you because if a person thinks they're alive, but they're dead, if I, without the Spirit of God telling you, you'll never know the difference, right? And so when Jesus comes out of mercy, he actually confronts the lie of a ritual system instead of knowing the living God. Does that make sense? And so it begs the question, what does the Father's house look like? Right? You see, a ritual is defined as this. It says, um, 
By definition, a ritual is a religious or solemn ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to prescribed order. It requires no listening or relationship, right? It's you sit down, you write out, you map out what's going to happen. How many of our church services, how many places do you go, you know exactly what's going to happen in the next five or ten minutes? That's called a ritual. And you may say, well, they're reading the Bible, aren't they? Well, weren't they reading the Torah? Weren't they reading the Old Testament in the synagogue? And Jesus came back and said, you are dead man's bones. You are whitewashed tombs. You think you're alive, but you're dead. That's pretty confronting, isn't it? But the word church, I want to talk to you about the word church because it's connected to the Father's house. The word ecclesia is the Greek word for church. It actually means to be called out of. And the other piece is it, it is called into. So it's called out. If, and you think of it, the context of what Jesus came to do. He called, he called people out of the synagogue and into his living church. He called people out of ritual and into a relationship. Amen? And so that gets to the point where I want to talk to you tonight about a discussion I had with the Holy Spirit a handful of years ago. I'm driving down the road, riding, you know, I'm minding my own business. I'm not looking for trouble, right? Just driving down the road. And this big ornate church, past this big ornate church, I'll leave, I'll leave the denomination off the list. But it was a beautiful church. I'm minding my own business. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to me and he said, that's a synagogue. I went, nah, that's a church. <laughs> he goes, no, that's a synagogue. And I'm like, all right, what are you trying to tell me? What are you and I'm pressing for answers, right? I'm pressing for answers. And so a couple days later, driving down the road, passing another church, guess what, ha guess what happens? That's a synagogue. What do you mean that's a synagogue? It's a church. No, that's a synagogue, right? And so after, after some time of questioning the Lord about why I'm going down the street looking at a church building, and he says, no, that's a synagogue. He started to talk to me about the reality of what he really wanted to reveal to me. And it was about the Father's house. And so um, as I asked him the questions, what do you mean it's a synagogue? His answer was simple. He said, no wind. I went, no wind? What do you mean no wind? So he took me on this journey of understanding how important the wind is. Anybody know what the wind is in the New Testament? Right? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus talked about the wind a lot. Amen. Jesus was so animate and so in love with the wind. It was because of the wind that Jesus moved. Jesus didn't go anywhere unless the Father, the voice of the Holy Spirit spoke and took him down a certain path, right? And so Jesus was so in love with the Holy Spirit that he actually told the disciples before he ascended into heaven, right? Luke, Luke 24, 49, he says, do not leave this city until I clothe you in the Holy Spirit. And people, people think that, oh, that's kind of, okay, well, that's kind of an optional thing. No, it was the one thing Jesus, the one thing that Jesus sent. He goes, do not leave the city. I'm going to clothe you. The wind of God is going to come and it's going to change you. All of you guys who called yourselves my disciple and then you ran on the night of the crucifixion, that very power that equipped me to go to the cross, it's going to come on you and equip you to do a supernatural thing too. Amen? And so you all know the story on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it says there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind and all 120 people in the upper room experienced the wind of the Holy Spirit. And the wind of the Holy Spirit transforms people into a series of sequential encounters that changed Jerusalem and the world, right? And it says, that they, it says in Acts chapter 2, it says that they, when the wind of God came, it says they prayed in tongues and prophesied. Ver, ver, chapter 2, verse uh, 1 to 4 says, when the wind of God came, it says they prayed in tongues and then they prophesied. And we spent the, the first few meetings talking about the equipping of the gift of tongues and how that gift actually activates the gift of prophecy. 
Amen? And so if you're interested in that, you can get those other, other teachings um, and get into the depths of the equipping of tongues and how it awakens the gift of prophecy. But there's another sequence, very similar to what happened last week with the outpouring of the Spirit where people were undone. They couldn't stand up. They're weeping and crying. We get to Acts chapter 2, verse 12. I'll start, I'll start there. It says, So they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking, others questioning, others not knowing what it was, said they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my maidservants, men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they all shall prophesy. So Peter then goes on to say, this is that, right? He's actually taking them through the sequence. There was the outpouring of the gift of tongues. Then there's the equipping. There's the equipping of prophecy. And once they started to prophesy, then there was an intoxication, a saturation of the Spirit that was so profound and so bold that the people were perceived to be drunk, Right? If you walked in here last week and you looked at this, if you looked at the crowd, the bodies laying on the floor and they're shaking, they couldn't get up, what would you say? You would say, what are you guys drinking? Give me some of that. No, I'm joking. But that's what the public would say. And that's even what some churches would say. What's wrong? They're out of order. It's, it looks like a mess, right? But Peter said, no, they went from praying in the Spirit. Then they started having the vision of the Lord. They started prophesying and they got so throttled, and they got so overcome by the presence of the Lord, they were perceived to be intoxicated. Amen? Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit take me through that progression. Take me through that progression. I, want the gift of I want the gift of tongues to activate the gift of prophecy. That I'll be undone in the Holy Ghost. That the world and the church will perceive I'm intoxicated by a greater power. In Jesus' name. <laughs> you see, Peter had to stand up and say, No, 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 they're not drunk as you suppose. This is that. This is that. Right? Tell your neighbor, this is that. <laughs> you see, until the last six weeks, there's many people listening right now who would say that's out of control. If you, if, if, if you would have walked in here six weeks ago and saw that until you went through the progression, people would have perceived ah, that's not of God and they'd have ran out. That's a mess. That's not real. But here's the deal, guys. Without being awakened under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a lot of people can't tell the difference. You can walk into a lot of places and you have to actually check their pulse to see if they're alive, right? You don't have to do this, but if you want to, reach over to your neighbor. <laughs> you might want to check for a pulse and say, hey man, you might need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, I'm joking, you know, I, lo I love you, right? <clears throat> I wake up every day, man, and I say, Lord, my pulse is getting low. I need the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm telling you. My wife will tell you. Someday she, see, she would hear me in the basement, and she'd open up. What's going on down there? Nothing. I'm just praying. I'd be down there. I had, I'd lay my hand on myself, and I'd be going, more! Holy Ghost, I need more! You see... If you don't pray crazy in your own prayer closet, you'll never pray crazy outside. 
Because the people right, there's people in here right now that you are called to amazing great places. You're called to pulpits, you're called to workplaces. I can tell you stories to the cows come home of getting people baptized in the Holy Ghost in the middle of chemical plants, getting people baptized in the middle of city government buildings, in the middle of general manager and vice president's offices. I've gotten people baptized in the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't because I sat down or I woke up once a day or once a week and said, Jesus, I just, man, are you real? No, I said, I know you're real and I need more of the Holy Ghost. I need to hear you. I need you to speak to me more. I need you to reach into my life, turn my heart, rip out everything that is unclean. Make me what you called me to be. And that's the way, that's the way I had to, I, everything that has come out so far in my life came out out of a prayer life of desperation. And that's what, I, that's what I picture David laying under the shadow of the wing, desperate for God, absolutely desperate for more of the Holy Spirit because that Holy Spirit equipped him to take down a giant and he was so in love, then he took down more, then he took down nations, then he took down, he transformed a whole nation. And a whole nation, instead of going through ritual, the whole nation was in Zion crying out, more! He's a leader, man. His heart, one, the heart of one man changed a whole nation to be led out of ritual, not even known if you're alive, into the presence of God Almighty, thirsting for more of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, you guys ready for a crazy story? Let me tell you a crazy story. One of my first missions into India, you know, I'm going all the way around the other side of the world, spending weeks getting my messages prepped. What am I going to say? Who I'm, who I'm talking to? And when I started working with pastors, I didn't, I didn't really know what the, what the whole tent, the whole intent and what the design of the mission was entirely. I was discovering it. Okay. And so I have about 250 pastors in this city um, in uh, Vaisak Patnam, uh, India, which is on the uh, the west, or I'm sorry, the east coast of India, in the northern part. And um, the night before, I have this dream. Imagine that. I have this dream, and so in this dream, Jesus walks. I'm in the hotel. I'm in. Jesus walks me down the hallway of the hotel. He has a key. He opens a door. He walks me in a room. And there's a dead man laying in the bed. He's, he's white like a dead guy. There's no pulse. There's nothing there. And he asked me a question. He says, can these bones live? And I went, yes. He says, prophesy to the bones. And a lot of you know the scripture, right? Ezekiel chapter 37. And I, didn't, I've ne- I had never preached that. I never preached out of that, that chapter, okay? And Jesus was awakening something in me, okay? So he says, prophesy to the bones. And I prophesied, come to life. And the guy sat up in bed. Okay. Now this isn't a dream. Okay. He walks me out down the hall to another room. He unlocks it, opens the door. There's a man laying dead in bed. He says, can these bones live? I said, yes. He says, prophesy. And I said, come to life. The guy sat up in bed. Boom. I wake up. I took all my notes. Guess what I preached on? I took all my notes, put them aside, and I stood up in front of these guys. And there's 250 pastors, okay? All denominations. Every denomination you could think of, Lutheran, Baptist, Catholics, Charismatic, all kinds, okay? And so I stand up. I start, I start to talk about Ezekiel 37, which we'll get to here in a second. But I start, I start to speak about the prophet being taken to a place of death and being challenged to prophesy and call that place, call the people to life, okay? And I didn't know exactly what was going to happen that day, but there was an electricity in the air. I started to preach out of the vision that the Lord gave me. And the more I preached, the more electric this place got. And people, guys, guys were standing up. It was just absolutely crazy. And by the end of the session, I was only supposed to do one session. I was supposed to do a morning session, okay? By the end of the session, people said, pray for me, pray for me. They're all saying, pray for me. And guess what happened? 
The whole room of pastors gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. They're praying in tongues. They wouldn't leave. Okay, they're crying. They're praying in tongues. The guy who was my connector um, for this city, he comes, he goes, he goes, they want you to do another session. I said, well, I thought, you know, I usually, I usually do pastor's conference in the morning, two or three churches in the afternoon, and I do a crusade at night. I'd get up, I'd do it again for two, two straight weeks. And so I said, what about the churches? He goes, those pastors are here. They said, it's okay. We'll get them right in the, later in the week. They said, they, want, they don't want to leave. I said, okay. So they get us at second session. They, they, they pay the guy, the, the, the building owner. Somehow they get them coerced to keep the building, okay? They give us lunch. I come back. Guess what happens? Guys start to have visions. They start to, they literally are, are, are having the vision of the Lord. And they're shaking. They're crying. They're saying, I see this. So we're giving these Indian guys the mic. And they're telling everybody else what the Lord was showing them in the moment, Okay? Guys were getting wrecked. They're weeping. They're crying. They're like, we've never seen this before. Okay? Well, guess what happened? They said, we want to do a third session. What about the crusade? Those guys are here. We'll do that. We'll do that later. We'll put I'm like, all right, you're in charge, right? So not only were the guys there, but all their families came in the third session. Now, this is where the story gets crazy. If you think it was crazy then, this is where it really gets crazy. Because at this point, there's tongues and there's prophecy, but people were still conscious and on their feet. That's somewhat explainable, okay? So I stand up in the third session, and my interpreter's standing there, and I just, I'm talking, I'm talking about the wind and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the more I talk, my interpreter, I'm looking at my interpreter, and my interpreter's going like this. I'm like, What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> he goes, I don't know. I can't stand up. And this goes on for a couple minutes, and all of a sudden, whoosh, my interpreter goes down in the middle of the message. What's wrong with him? I'm, I, he's, he got touched by the Holy Ghost. That's Peter. Peter is now here to explain this is that, right? This is that. They're not drunk as you suppose. I said, just get me another interpreter. Another guy stands up and we're, we're rolling, man. I'm laying hands on people left and right. He's right beside me. All of a sudden, woof, my interpreter falls out. Nobody laid a hand on him. The moral of the story is this, that out of the vision that the Lord gave me, he would fulfill everything out of Pentecost. What? Yeah, the, the, she said the morals to always have a catcher. No, the Lord will take care of you. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> the point is this, that when the power of the Holy Ghost comes, there are depths of the Spirit that He will take you to. Some people only made it to tongues. Some people made it into prophecy, but have not seen a sweeping overpowering encounter with the Holy Spirit where the people start to weep and cry and are overcome. I mean, I've seen, I've seen uh, in a crusade, I've seen a thousand, I've seen 2,000 people at one time, a wave come over them and they all start shaking and crying and start praying in the Holy Spirit, okay? Sometimes it happens all at once. Sometimes it's just tongues. Sometimes it's prophecy and tongues, right? But like last week, sometimes there's a redefinition of what the Father's house looks like, right? And if we aren't open to the reality that it can get crazy, God has, there's an encountering aspect of the Holy Spirit that is so supernatural that if your rules and limitations, they, they, they do have the ability to cause you to stop or to run out the door, okay? Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. I'm laying down my guard. And encounter, me encounter me in a supernatural way. Supernatural way. I want to be, be undone. That somebody has to stand up and explain. Stand up and explain. This is that. This is that. <laughs> you know how many times in my life I had to explain this is that? I love explaining this is that because it always leads to another this is that. You with me? Amen.
And so, <laughs> are you getting drunk in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I can feel it. I can feel it. Somebody's getting drunk in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> let, me read a, let me read a portion of a scripture here to you. Um, this is Ezekiel uh, 37, verse 9 and 10. This is after he took, he took Ezekiel into the, into the graveyard. He told him to prophesy to the, to the bones. He said, come to life, right? But he wasn't finished. The next thing he said was now prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the wind. And it says the bones that had flesh on them after he told it to come to life, then wind, the life of God, actually came into the army, made them alive. So you're not just calling them to life. You're not just putting flesh on the bones. You're actually putting the breath of God. And this is where a lot of people fall short. I'll just get them to the altar. All they have to do is confess. You know what my motto is? Get them to the altar. Get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. Get them shaken in the presence of the Lord and the breath of God has come upon them and they'll never ever be the same again because they know it simply wasn't about their own decision. It was about encountering a force that was so supernatural that it changed them. And that's what happened to me. Something changed me because Dave Cuppet could not do anything that I do now. I used to shake in front of crowds. I used to shake in front of the guy that I reported to in my 20s. But then something came into my life and shook me. Something that was supernatural transformed me that is beyond any ability that I have on my own. The wind got me. Somebody called me out of the crowd and not only put flesh on me, they put the wind of God in me. And I know without the wind of God, no way would, it, would anything that I've ever done for the kingdom ever happen. Starting with verse 9, also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breath of the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived, and soon upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Does anybody feel a little woozy in the Holy Ghost? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. So, <laughs> so, he, so he says, prophesy to the wind. It's actually symbolic of the double portion. Not only is there flesh put on the bones, you're called out of the graveyard, but there's actually wind. There's actually an equipping that is supernatural. It's actually the double portion. It's the old. Jesus fulfilled the old, right? He fulfilled the ritual, but he also sent the life. Jesus fulfilled the ritual of the old, but he sent the life. So why would you reject the wind? Why would anybody reject the wind? You see, angels ride the wind, right? Hebrews chapter 1, it says that angels ride the wind and he makes his ministers flames of fire. Flames of fire. The presence of Almighty God himself is on the prophecy. See, it wasn't me standing in front of 250 Indian pastors and being articulate about a dream, it was actually about releasing the dream and the wind of God came upon the people and it transformed them. That's the power of prophecy. That's a picture that he is in the dream. He's on the dream. The angels ride the vision. Amen? That's the power. That's why when you prophesy, when you know that he gives you a vision, just like he told Jeremiah, I am ready to execute the vision, right? And when, when you release the vision, the vision is already working. It's actually coming out of heaven. The angels are riding on the vision, doing the supernatural. Say this with me. Say, wind of God. Make me a minister of fire. Wind of God, make me a minister of fire. That when I prophesy... People are filled with the wind. People are filled with the wind. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name. 
You see, this is no small thing. And the connection piece is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are about the wind. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. The word gifts is actually the word pneumaticos. It's Greek for, guess what? The wind, the breath, right? I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to try to attempt to be a Christian, to go, to go and do anything without the breath. You're wasting your time without the breath, right? You're wasting your time without the breath. Concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. It's not like, well, here's a bolt-on option, take it or leave it. No, he's saying, don't be ignorant. Turn to the person beside you and tell them, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Regarding the wind of God. <laughs> you see, the wind encompasses the life. And when Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to describe the gifts of the Spirit, miracles, prophecy, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, wisdom, all of those gifts go back to don't be ignorant of the wind. The only way those equipping gifts happen are your connection to the wind. And I'm here to tell you that if you're connected to the wind, those gifts flow out of you. Just like we've seen here in the last month, right? People are touched by the wind. They're activated by the wind. Life comes in, right? Life has come in to many of you. And suddenly, when I pull people up here and we start to minister to people, visions, people start getting visions to help the people around them. And the wind starts to blow, right? The wind starts to blow. The wind starts coming just like it came on the day of Pentecost. People are weeping and crying and I mean, you guys, we've had people healed, right? We've had people that didn't know Jesus when they came in the door and they get undone in the Holy Ghost. They stand up praying in the Holy Ghost, right? The wind was blowing. Amen? You see, Jesus was so adamant about the wind. He actually told, he actually started talking to Nicodemus about the wind. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, Right? The guy who was part of the group that he called a bunch of whitewashed tombs, dead men's bones. You are of your father, the devil. One of them came and asked him a, a question. He asked him about this whole spiritual life thing. What are you? What, what are you doing? What, what is this? And Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's not if. You must receive the wind. You must be awakened by the wind of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes or where it goes, so is everyone born of the Spirit. Did I know that when I went to bed, the night I had to preach to those pastors, that I know what I was going to preach? In my mind, I did. But the Lord gave me a vision, a dream, that was going to transform and awaken a whole group of men that I never could have done. The wind shifted. Say wind shift. Wind shift. Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit, make me sensitive, make me sensitive. To, the shift. to the wind shift. Make me sensitive, make me sensitive. To, your to your vision that every gift of the Spirit, gift of the Spirit would, flow off my tongue. would flow off my tongue in the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. You see, what happened here last week isn't anything new, Okay. I, I can tell you stories to the cows come home about going into churches and being welcomed and going into churches and not being welcomed, okay? I went to a church in Zanesville, Ohio um, about five or six years ago. Before I went, I went, I talked to them, understood their situation. They were in a little bit of turmoil, a little bit of transition, and they said, we want the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Lord says to you, we want to hear. I said, I'm on it. So I walk in the church, got this message all prepared. I stood in the pulpit, and I think I got one sentence out of my mouth. And as soon as I started to speak, breath started to leave my body. People started, this, like this side of the room started to cry, 
And this side of the room started to laugh. People were falling out of their chairs. Crazy. I never even preached. And so I start to giggle. I start getting undone in the Holy Spirit. I start to be overcome by the Holy Spirit. We went, I started to prophesy over people. This went on for hours and hours. We left church, it was after midnight. Those people were undone. Half the people that came in that didn't know the Holy Spirit left praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay? I can't do that, but the wind can. And I can't decide when it happens. I just go where the wind blows me. I speak what I believe the Lord prepped me to speak. And sometimes He takes me down a different path and the wind starts to blow in a different direction. Amen? Last week we started down a path. We thought it was just going to be prophetic like it was the weeks earlier. And all of a sudden, the wind shift, right? And when the wind shifted, people started falling immediately. Woof, woof, right? The fire of God wanted to touch people. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to touch you a lot more than you want Him to touch you? You see, the issue is not the Holy Spirit. The issue is our heart, our perceived need, our expectation, our willingness to have a different definition, our willingness to leave go and let Him overwhelm us, right? And that's not always an easy thing to do, but... When you learn to encounter the Lord, when you learn to like go down into your prayer room at 5 a.m. and start going, all right, Lord, more! You see, you got to practice that with me. You ready? On the count of three, we're going to say more Holy Spirit. You ready? One, two, three. More Holy Ghost! Come on, do you feel that? You ready? One, two. Two, three, more Holy Ghost! Come on, man, it feels, it feels like lightning bolts landing on your head, right? <laughs> Come on, we're getting close, you ready? One, two, three, more Holy Ghost! Who the heck is this crazy preacher guy? Who is he? Walking around up there in a coffee shop. One, two, three. More Holy Ghost. All right, now lay your hand on the person beside you. (laughs) You ready? One, two, three. More Holy Ghost. You see, you you have the power to change the atmosphere. Do you just feel the shift in this room? Come on, man. You have the power to change the atmosphere. And the church has been lied to. The church has been made to be ritualistic, routine, predictable. And if unexplainable comes, that's not of God. But you know what? That's not what the Lord says. That's not what the Lord says. So you have to ask yourself the question, Are you the synagogue or are you the church? Don't answer yet. Okay? So let's get back to my conversation with the Lord. So I'm passing churches, places I I would call a church. He goes, synagogue. Why? No wind. Oh, my goodness. No wind. Uh Uh-oh, what are we going to do about that? We got to get them filled with the wind, right? And so the next thing he said to me, as he says, no wind, I says, what do you, what do you mean? Why? What, what's, what, are you, what are you driving at? He says, my house is filled with curators of the wind. And this is where the conversation end, ended. Curators of the wind. I said, Lord, curator. I didn't even know what curator was. You guys know what a curator is? I had to look it up. I had to go look and, and pull out a dictionary and find out what a curator is. You know the guy that sets up the museum? The guy who's in charge of the heritage of what is presented in the, in, the, in the museum? That's called a curator. The guy who actually puts together the presentation. Okay? And so I looked up this definition. 
So the definition of a curator is, it has, has three, three parts. One is overseer, one who takes care of. So in the context of the house of God, the Lord is saying the one who takes care of the wind. One is sensitive to the wind, one who guards the wind, one is, who is so willing to be moved by the wind. Number two is a content specialist charged with an institution's valuables. So if the wind is valuable and the wind wants to speak, what, what happens? A curator of the wind would actually guard the house in such a way that the wind would be able to speak when the wind wants to speak. You see, if you're listening to the wind, the wind always has something to say. The wind always has a movement, an intent, a place, and, and something that the Lord wants to do supernaturally. Okay? Number three is, the curator is charged with proper interpretation of the heritage of the house. And so a curator, the Lord seems to believe that a curator of the wind is a very important job in the house of God. And so in the context of what Jesus did, curators give their life to guard the wind. They're so sensitive of it, right? Jesus said all sin will be forgiven except those who what? You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You squelch it. You stop the move of it. What happens if the Lord wants to speak? What happens if the wind wants to blow in the room and you're like, nope, we're going to stand up, sit down, uh, sing the third and fourth stanzas because we don't have time to get through all four stanzas. We're going to do a five-minute can message and out the door we go. What if, the Lord, what if the Holy Spirit and the wind wants to speak? What if, what if the wind was so valued that we would just let the wind blow? Huh? What would churches look like? Huh? Would they look routine, predictable? Would you know what was going to happen that day? Did you know what was going to happen last Sunday? I was so excited I couldn't, st I couldn't stand it. Because Saturday night, we've got bodies on the floor. People are weeping. We've got people crying out for war. Touch me again. Lay your hand on me again. People going out in the Spirit. And then on Sunday morning, after I had you pray that prayer, Lord, give me a vision for somebody tomorrow. People stood up. Bill, Bill made space for what? The wind. Bill stood up and held out the mic. And who was it first? Was it Aiden? Okay, so you, you jumped up, you start prophesying, right? Another person jumps up, starts prophesying. You jumped up, you started prophesying over that guy who turns out to be a doctor. He's shaking. He's literally shaking in his boots as words were coming out of your mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, this place is a mess. Yes, yes. Woo, this place is a mess. You see, the Lord sends me places to make a mess. <laughs> come on man you're getting the gist of this turn to the person beside you and say the Lord is sending you places to make them a mess you see Jesus warned in the book of Revelation there were seven letters to the seven churches right he had different warnings to each of them but he always ended it with this Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the, the Spirit, the wind is saying. Which way the wind is blowing. The wind will correct your air. The wind will take care of you. The wind knows everything you need. Not something that's comfortable for the people to that, that, who have issue with making a mess. Right? Jesus said, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about you being sensitive to the wind. Because my house is built on curators of the wind. You know how the Lord got me activated on this? One of my first missions about 10 years ago, somehow this guy invites me to Atlantic City. He says, hey, there's like 40 pastors going to Atlantic City. You want to come? I said, all right. So we're in there. And I mean, every denomination on the way there, I figured out these guys are all denominational guys. I started asking questions. I start talking about the Holy Spirit because I'm not afraid to make a mess. <laughs> you with me? 
And so I'm riding beside this guy who spent 30 years as a pastor in a denominational church that refused the wind, that refused the Holy Ghost. And I start talking to him. I just start, just tell, start telling him my testimony, how the Lord came and shook me. The Spirit of God came on me. I started, I started hearing Jesus the first night I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I started preaching the next day. He's like, and you mean tongues just came out of your mouth? Yeah. Well, I was told, I was told that doesn't happen anymore. I was told that doesn't need, that you don't need any of that. that that's just a mess. You don't need that. That's optional. I said, not according to my experience. I said, can I pray for you? He's like, what? I said, yeah, man, you can get filled with the Holy Ghost right now. Everything that I just testified of, you can get filled with the Holy Spirit right now. He says, all right. I lay my hand on him. He starts crying. He falls over in the van. He's, on the, he's in between. All the other guys are going, you're making a mess, man. I pray for this guy. He gets up. He sits in a chair. The gift of tongues starts flying out of his mouth. Guess what? Got there on a Friday. Three out of the 40 guys knew the Holy Spirit, prayed in the Holy Ghost, ever saw a vision. By the morning of Saturday, the guy in charge said, you're, you're preaching tonight. I said, okay. Guess what? By the time we got into the van on Sunday afternoon to come back, 35 out of the 40 were praying in the Holy Ghost, weeping and shaking. And I can tell you story after story, when they got back and they started preaching in their churches, they made a mess, right? They made a mess. You see, when the Holy Ghost comes, He makes a mess. If He made it on the day of Pentecost, He's going to make a mess. But you know what I love about what's happening here? Is that people are embracing the mess. Did you hear Bill? Bill, Bill got up last week and he's like, I don't know, you, you gave me that vision about laying hands and I, it just came out. Remember people falling on the ground? What is that? That's the wind. He's making a mess, Right? He's just simply awakening curators of the wind in the house of God. Because I'll tell you this, you encounter the wind of the Holy Spirit, you will never, ever be the same again. Because once you get the gift of tongues, then you get a vision. Once you give your first prophecy and you feel that fire come out of down your arm and lay your hands on somebody and somehow they get activated in the Holy Spirit. And then the fire of God comes into your life and you're laying there in your prayer all night long because you can't get up. You don't want to get up because you need more. You actually begin to have this desperate heart cry and suddenly giant killers, sons of David, start being awakened and then two people get it and then five people get it and pretty soon worship doesn't turn into three songs. Worship is not shut down on Sunday because there's five people laying on their face. They're weeping and crying and then it just catches everybody else. starts laying on their face. They start crying out to God and the whole place is made a mess. The whole place is made a mess. You see, people in love are not ritualistic. There's no ritual. There was no ritual in David. There's no stand up, sit down, go through the, the routine and out the door you go. You can't, you can't contain it. You're so thirsty for the presence of the Lord that you actually pull on the presence of the Lord. Do you know that in worship, you can actually change the direction? You can actually shift the direction of what's going to happen. You can actually intercede and cry out for the Holy Ghost in such a way at the beginning of worship that the presence of God comes in that what was planned originally, just like the Lord came to me in a dream the night before, somebody was crying out for something. Somebody shifted an entire city of pastors to get touched with the Holy Ghost. That's what a heart can do. That's what a heart that is so in love with the presence of the Lord can do. Amen? So say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Whatever you have for my life, for my life I, want it, I want it. Even if it looks like a mess. Give me a clean heart. Give me a clean heart, Holy Ghost. Give me a clean heart, Holy Ghost. 
that I would not be afraid to cry out. Give me a clean heart, Holy Ghost, that would hunt you down in the night, that would lay in the shadow of your wings and wait for you to speak to me. Holy Ghost, make me a curator of the wind. Holy Ghost, make me a curator of the wind. I want to make a mess everywhere I go. Holy Ghost, make me sensitive to every gift of the Holy Spirit that I would not let people walk by me without releasing your vision in their life. Holy Ghost, make me a mess. Come on, lay your hand on the person beside you. Come on, lay your hand on them and say, Holy Spirit, make them a mess. That they can make a mess everywhere they go. Holy Ghost, make them a mess. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org, D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book, The Key of David, Experiencing the Voice of God, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life.